from VinePair's New York City headquarters. I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the VinePair Podcast. And guys, before we get today's show going, uh, I think a lot of people who are listeners to the podcast know that we have an amazing uh, trade-focused newsletter called VP Pro. And one of the incentives for telling all of your friends about VP Pro is that if you tell enough people about VP Pro, uh, you get to have your own personal shout out on the pod. And one specific person who has done just that is Rob Day, who is the Senior Director of Marketing for Jack's Abbey and Springdale in Boston. He's told everybody about the newsletter, which is awesome and gotten a ton of amazing people to sign up. So he recorded us a shout out and he gets to shout out whatever he wants. So we're just going to play it. Rob, take it away. My name's Rob Day from Jack's Abbey Craft Loggers. And for me and everybody at the brewery, we want to shout out Vine Pair Pro. That's right, the podcast you're listening to right now. They do fantastic work, and we're all big fans here at the brewery. Prost. Oh, that was that was awesome. Thanks, Rob. That's so kind of you. <laughs> yeah, I did not think he would advertise our I own podcast, that. which yeah. is pretty sweet. So again, see, proven he just tells everybody, which I like. So if you uh, also <laughs> would like to give a shout out on the podcast, all you got to do is you know sign up for VP Pro and forward it to a ton of people, get them to sign up, and. Uh, Maybe you can be doing what Rob just did. Uh, yeah, and there's, no, shout, there's no restrictions. You can shout someone else if you want. It's okay. Shout, yeah, shout out whatever you want. Or you could just shout <laughs> us. I, I, yeah. I love when you shout out us. Anyways, so uh, Joanna and Zach, uh, it's, it's been a pretty crazy week. We're, you know, kind of like in, in the thick of August. But uh, but what have you both been up to? What have you been getting yourselves into? Why don't – Zach, this week we can start with you. Sure. <laughs> Um, well, you know, I have been uh, kind of hunkering down, uh, preparing for for kid number two showing up. It's uh, feeling a little more real. Uh, we're getting into the you know last uh, less than two months until the due date, like a month and a half, and um, it's a uh, you know it's it's a it's a it's an interesting thing. But but the the thing that I've been thinking about a lot actually in wake of this is actually my uh, my older child, uh, my son, and. Because we've been, we, we've talked, uh, my wife and I, since before he was born about, oh, you know, we should get a case of wine for him for, for his birth year. And now we're actually at the point where like 2018, which was his birth year, like those wines are readily available on the market, almost anything we'd want to buy. And I honestly have been like, I, I can't, I, I'm like paralyzed. I can't pick <laughs> the wines because I, I, and I, and maybe both of you will have thoughts. I, I, what I can't decide is like, I think initially the thought was like, oh, we'll get a case of one wine and then like we can open it over, you know, over time. And he, you know, we can open the first one when he's probably before he's 21, frankly, maybe when he's 18 or whatever, and then open them together as a family over, over the years. But then there's a part of me that's like, what if we pick something and it's like, not great. Cause that's something we're asking wine. That's going to, you know, it's going to go a minimum of, you know, 18, 20 years. It's got to go awfully often longer, which means a, you know, a lot of things aren't necessarily wines I would buy and B, they'll be expensive and I don't want to like fuck it up. So then it was like, well, okay, maybe we get 12 different wines, but then it's like, well, you just open it once and it's kind of gone. And and how do you know? And even then you're still looking way down the road. So I think what we're going to do is get three bottles, each of four wines. And that gives us a little more opportunity to get it right. Um, but, but it's been, it's been like gnawing at me because it feels like I can't really put it off. Like I'm going to start thinking about, baby number two soon enough. Uh, and so I, I need to get on this, but I, but I haven't done anything. So if you guys have any thoughts, uh, listeners as well, you know, email podcast at vinepair.com. Tell me, tell me what wines I should be buying for my son. That is such a lovely idea. It's a great par- one. I wish my parents did that. For I know. Me I mean, too. Too. <laughs> I definitely did not. No birthday. I find, wine. I find like a lot of like wine professionals do it, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, it is, it's hard. Cause like, I don't really like, what do you do? Like, and what do you think they're going to think is really, I mean, my sort of thought would be like, go for some of the, the regions that have always been classics. Yeah. Cause even when, you know, he's 21, like they, there is a, pretty high likelihood that they will still be classics yeah. uh, and then maybe a few curveballs that you're not sure right but like things yeah. that you were passionate about now it's like you know if i were you like maybe like a xenomabro or something might be dope yeah um yeah. you know but then yeah like go get get some napa get some bordeaux get some burgundy yeah. so maybe some like you know i would i would go northern rhone instead of southern rhone yeah. um but yeah just because like those will be cool to have and those have always yeah. been regions and and then i would just get producers you were excited about now and like um, yeah. and then you can always, cause then it'll be fun. Cause you'll get to share them with him and like, tell, you know, tell the stories and, and sort of remember, oh yeah, like mm-hmm. I, you know, this was a wine that I was super excited about at this time when, when I bought the wine, that's what I would do. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the tentative plan. But like I said, I've been sort of like holding off cause it's like, well, you know, tw- the 2018s that I'd want to buy for, for, to keep for 20 plus years aren't really out yet, but now they, now they are. <laughs> so I actually have yeah. to do something. I think I think it's a cool idea though. I think it'll be fun. And Thanks. like yeah, it's a it's a it's definitely a, a very cool so like you will you'll give it to him on his twenty first birthday. Like will you hold it for Oh, I think yeah, I don't know. I mean he'll probably know it exists, but like it's not gonna be a like, hey, whenever you want it, it's here. Like at <laughs> least until he's old enough to really like I mean, I don't want to be this person too much, but like until he's old enough to appreciate it, like maybe when he's moves out or is, a, you know, out of college, if he goes to college or whatever, then, then he can maybe have control of it. Although maybe so you're saying like when he's like here. 35 or something. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still around then. My goodness. Yeah. Um, uh, but this is cool, a question that I have for both of you, which is like, so because of this, I, I've also been thinking about like, you know, there, there's this thing in, in wine and, and it's not just for, pros or for wine professionals but for people for people in general there's a certain cachet to like birth year wine right um and uh adam i know you and i share a birth year have you had much much 83 first of all i don't you did not have to shout out that number. <laughs> like you could have been like have you have you had much 92 and i've been like you, come on oh, you don't want to be that young. <laughs> um, but uh, sure you want to still be in your 20s i do not want to be in my 20s no i know no that was those were some fun years but uh yeah no but I would no, I haven't. I actually, I mean, I really haven't. I, I think like when I, yeah, no, I, it's it's always fun to have, but I, I'm not as like excited about it. I think like yeah. I, it's cool when it happens, but I'm like birth year, birth year. Yes. Like <laughs> I, I no, uh, I have no other really response. <laughs> what, what about you, Joanna? Have you has whatever your birth year is? You don't have to reveal. Uh, has it been? Uh, has that been something you've you've tried, or does it have any? Like, is there any appeal in that for you? Um, it's 1988, first of all. Okay. And second of all, no, I, I haven't. I don't think I've ever had any wine from 1988, but it does appeal to me. Gotcha. I like this idea. It's cool, but yeah. like, it's cool. No one usually shares their 83s with me. I think that's the more like. So again, if you're listening to the pod, you want to send a 1983 to the Vine Fair headquarters. We're, I'm like more than down to like accept the delivery. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, or just with an open bottle, you know, knock on the door. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, but I think that's the more the more of the issue is like I just have I've never really come across a lot of it, and I've never yeah really seen a lot of it. I've gotten to have like, um, gosh, Zach, I'm blanking. What is the really cool wine restaurant in Verona? Oh, um, oh, no, I'm brand. No, I'm brand- I do it too. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! All our listeners, all the all the people who would be shouting us out, are like so you're disappointed. An, you're an idiot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways, and we were there. I just can't remember what it's yeah. called. So, <laughs> so you know, they have a you know along the wall. 
uh, and everyone hangs out there during Vin Italy and now yeah. we're idiots. But anyways, it's been, it's COVID brain. So, um, they, you know, have every, they have an Armagnac, I think, like a producer that yeah. they've collected. And they, and I, so I've had my birth year of that. Okay. And that was cool. But again, that's like a very different kind of experience. For sure. Um, and usually when you see your birth, like an 83 birth year on the list, it's like hella expensive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's not the like big ever, problem with this. Yeah. So sure. I'm like, I'm not like, oh, cool. Let's do it. So yeah, I've actually only had like, I think two wines in my entire life that were my birth year. One was a Rioja that was corked. Oh, that's oh no. Yeah, no. I've had some port. Uh, it's easy. It's relatively easy to find vintage year port from a lot of years because not every year is a vintage year, but but many of them in the 80s were. So it was actually for both me and my wife, uh, who is not the same birth year as me, although relatively close. It, we've been able to do that, which is kind of cool. But yeah, not a lot of still wine. Uh, Joanna, what have you been drinking? I, I feel like I kind of hijacked the conversation. <laughs> no, actually, it's fine. I, I feel like it's been a pretty uneventful week for me in terms of drinking but um we did visit our friends who are staying out in the hamptons right now they just had a baby and they had the um you know the requisite wolfer estate rosé and some <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some montauk brewing company beer but also their hard seltzer lemonade which is a new thing and adam you mentioned this earlier today in a meeting but it does seem like every even small brand now has some sort of seltzer lemonade totally <laughs> It was fine. It's, it's really interesting. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's, what I find that's interesting is that, like, obviously it's a flavor profile people like, but it's been mm-hmm. really hard for a lot of people to get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think that it needs to taste more like like a really refreshing lemonade and less like a cloying lemon flavor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a, or or not just taste like Pellegrino with spark with a, with a squeeze of lemon, which I think a lot of it also tastes like, which is yeah, yeah, also, pretty watery. What you're going for yeah, like watery. No one wants watery lemon. Yeah. No, you know, so it's it's hard. It's it's definitely a hard flavor, but clearly something that consumers like. Like lemonade has definitely always been very mm-hmm. popular. Yeah, listen wow. to our episode about lemonade being super trendy. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, we recorded that probably like the beginning of the year. Oh, I don't even yep. remember. It's a Trends while ago. we predict them here, Vine <laughs> We're on them. What about what about you, Adam? What have you been drinking? Uh, so. I did a, a few cool things over the weekend. Um, one was I uh, went to this new restaurant in uh, Park Slope called Runner Up, which okay. uh, is sort of like the the new co restaurant to this restaurant winner that a lot of people wrote about during the pandemic. Makes sense, yeah, mm-hmm. because uh, you know basically they the whole thing is roast chicken, but it has a ridiculous uh, wine list, and actually it is the one of the inspirations for uh, our topic today. So we'll come back to oh, that cool. one. Uh, and then the other other thing I did, which been a while since I'd been here, but a friend had their birthday on Sunday, and so asked Naomi and I if we'd come and get a drink with him on on in Sunday on Sunday evenings. We went to Clover Club, oh, and they do. You know, I hadn't had their Manhattan in a really long time, and it was actually weirdly like rain, really rainy and kind of like cold out, which is odd since we're about to have a heat wave. Mm-hmm. But so all three of us ordered their Manhattan. And they do this amazing service with it where it comes with a sidecar and then also a mm-hmm. little like snack tray of Gouda per person, like okay. aged Gouda, because they like the pairing of the Manhattan with the Gouda. And it was just so cool. And wow. I forgot like how they do that. And I was like, it was, it was kind of fun to have like, you know, a little nibble of Gouda and then you take a sip of your cocktail and then you have another nibble of Gouda and a sip of your cocktail. And it was a fun pairing that I'd like never really thought about before. And I just thought, again, like, it was so cool that they were being creative and it just felt like, again, man, this is why a bar like that, this is so great and why everyone's written about them for so long, et cetera. Cause they just, they do all of the simple things so well. 
um, and they just make great cocktails. You know what? They weren't trying to be super showy. Uh, also, the drinks I think are very fairly priced for the quality of like liquid they put in them. Um, so again, it was just it was just awesome to go back to like one of these bars that you know sort of started it, especially in New York, started like the, the cocktail you know movement in New York, and just be like, damn, they still got it. That was about it for me. I go. never had a, I don't think I've ever been served a drink with like a specific snack without ordering it. Like it Yeah, right. It was drink. cool. That's I awesome. thought it was super cool. <laughs> um, they don't do it for every drink, obviously, but, right. but, but this one was really cool. Yeah. And and then of course, like Naomi was like, oh my gosh, we need to have a dinner party and have a, and, and the first course will have Manhattan's and aged Gouda. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, and, and yeah, no one will ever know where the idea came from unless they listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. My or have been to Clover Club. Club. I don't think my friends listen to the podcast. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm always disappointed when people when people I know in the industry who know me well they're like oh the podcast are you, you still doing that and I'm like yes well you know <laughs> you my, should be listening <laughs> you know I mean you I mean you guys y'all know Naomi doesn't listen to the podcast oh yeah neither does Caitlin yeah she's like she's like I, I, your voice stresses me out Joanna, does, <laughs> does does your partner listen to the podcast no Evan, I don't think he does every once in a while I think he does but and it surprises me <laughs> yeah and he's like hey nice point like I Meanwhile, heard, yeah. <laughs> You know, meanwhile, like you guys know, my super my super fans who let me know when you're talking shit. Yes, uh, that's true. You know, what's yeah. up, Keith? Anyways, so um, <laughs> so anyways, uh, this uh, today's topic I'm, I'm pretty interested in, which is sort of you know came to me through, like I said, dining at Runner Up, and one of the things about Runner Up is that they price their wines extremely affordably and by me extremely affordably like you know they have these great bottles on the list that they're that they're barely marking up right one and a Interesting. half you know and when i was asking them why one of the you know um response i got was they, they want to they want to appeal to a lot of members of the industry okay and so i thought it'd be a fun conversation to talk about like sort of what defines an industry bar or restaurant what makes a bar or restaurant an industry bar or restaurant and why would one want to open an industry bar or restaurant and i mean i there's obviously lots of reasons but that'd be fun to sort of like kick around what we think those reasons are and as the token member of the industry zach <laughs> i thought we'd kick it off with you first like what do you think defines an industry bar or restaurant why do people want to open them and like what's the appeal of them in the first place well, that's a good question, and and I think that a, a, a precise definition is always going to be a little difficult. But to me, in in my career, the bars that in, that have tended to be industry hangs have like a couple things in common. One of them is that they are like not generally the busiest places. Like like they are busy with industry crowds, but they're not necessarily going to draw a ton of of kind of other diners or drinkers or whatever. And and some of that is like, I found that some of those places tend to be kind of like uh, a little bit tucked away. Like they're harder to find. They're on a, a weird side street in a downtown area or they're, um, you know, kind of on, you know, they're, they're, they're just not obvious. And that's part of it. I think what's also important is, is frankly, you, you mentioned this at the beginning, Adam, it's, it's pricing, right? You know, industry people, it's complicated, but then certainly like, I've had plenty of times in my career, uh, especially when I was younger, uh, when, you know, like, I, would I have a night where I spent almost everything I made uh, after shift, you know, drinking and eating? Probably. <laughs> um, not always the greatest for uh, for the long-term financial outlook. But 
that's part of it. You know, you want to feel like you're getting bang for your buck. And then, of course, the other big thing is, like, you got to be open late and you got to be open on nights when people who are in the industry might not be working. So Sunday and Monday nights. And that's when I think you see a lot of, you know, sort of industry specials, you know, and it, and it can be everything from, you know, cheaper drinks, cheaper food. It can be, a, you know, just just a recognition. And, and I think for so much of it, too, for so many people in the industry, it's about, you know, there is a there is a a sort of a shared sense of, um, I guess you'd say like an esprit de corps, like this idea of, you know, whether you're a bartender at a, you know, the, the trendiest cocktail bar in the city, or you're a bartender at a hotel bar, or you're a bartender at a dive bar, like there is a, a fundamental element to that job that, that unites most everyone who does it. And you kind of want to like hang out with those people who will understand, um, you know, the kind of what the job is like and why, it's fun to get together on your days off or after your shift and like mostly just bitch about the people you work with and the people you serve. Cause that's in my experience, most of what happened. Hmm, interesting. But, but I think it's interesting. And, and I, I want to, I want your guys' thoughts. And then I want to come back to this question you posed, which is more interesting to me is like, what is in it for the restaurant or bar that is active? Yeah. That's what I'm curious about mostly the yeah. audience, I, but I, I, I don't want to dominate the conversation too much. So, so do, I mean, do you guys see these things? And then are you, have you ever tried to go to like an industry bar or, or a restaurant, like on a sort of industry night? Like, obviously they don't check ID at the door like that. Like it's just a, no. it's a weird night of the week usually. I mean, I think, I think there's, I don't know. Jen, what do you think? Um, Yeah. I, I don't know. I was thinking about this as well. And just this idea of, you know, Adam, you mentioned runner up opening with the intent of being an industry spot and winner it's, first restaurant or other restaurant is very, very popular and has like very well regarded in the city and people know that it's always very crowded. Um, so I think that if you have, if you can afford to open up a second spot where it, it is just industry, that makes sense to me. But otherwise, I just think of other s- spots, restaurants in the city that have become in, in New York City that have become industry hangouts or have been known to be industry hangouts. And I think they're just very successful popular restaurants and the ones that are hardest to get into. I think it's an interesting strategy. Um, so like to be clear, right? Like it, you know, runner up, I feel like is, it is part of their strategy. I mean, obviously it'd probably be you know, they want to just be a great neighborhood restaurant too, it seems. Mm-hmm. But I think when you position yourself as a place that is accessible and encourages industry to hang out, you also position your business in a really interesting way. And the the only like the, the main example I can think of this is Blue Ribbon, right? Where it became known really early on when they opened as like being open late, and they were mm-hmm. the place that like people in New York City went to late at night to still have a good meal when they got off work, right? And still have good wine, etc. And I'm not going to say it's the only thing that's responsible for their massive success, but I do think when you get industry people to your restaurant, you do open up a lot of connections that can be beneficial for your next restaurant. And I think that like the entire world is based on networking. I think what we kind of missed during COVID was that ability to network, right? And and I think we forgot how powerful like face-to-face interaction is. And like, you know, how much more like if you and I have had a, a drink together, I'm much more likely to make an introduction, you know, for you or on your behalf than if we've just like zoomed once in a while, right? That's just like general, like sales, entrepreneurship, et cetera, one-on-one, right? And the same is true for restaurants. So like if the right 
people start coming into your restaurant who know other people, then potentially when you lose a chef, it's a lot easier to find another chef because you have the right industry people coming in. And I'm saying this on the part of Blue Ribbon because I think both the owners, right, were not actually chefs, right? They were they were, they were restaurateurs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's obviously you're not going to lose a chef if you're the chef. But, uh, sure. but like I think that there is something there. Um, so I can see it from that, that business angle. But otherwise, you know, it is – a play, you know, it is interesting because, you know, if you're if you're also an industry place, usually you're someplace that's kind of affordable to people who work in the industry because we all know that like people who work in the industry, you know, sadly don't get paid what they're worth, right? They should, yeah. but a lot of times they don't. Um, we need to fix that, obviously, post COVID. But, um, you know, so therefore, like, you also have to be pricing things at a at a level where you're able to make money, but that like you're also kind of like taking care of people in the industry. So, you know, then I sort of wonder like financially is is that as easy to do but then i hear from some of my friends who own restaurants like oh no no when i when we have industry night we make more money than we ever make on on regular consumer Mm -hmm. nights like a lot more money and that like they don't really discount that much right that because they have they have you know people that come in and want to spend on really nice wine and want to order all the different dishes because like they also want to like take care of the staff that's working on that industry night so that's so i'm curious about that zach like when you used to go out on this night, like it was that the case like were were you guys kind of balling out and were you, ta- <laughs> yes. were you taking care of the, of the stuff? I mean, you've told me like stories when you used to go and like buy multiple bottles of champagne like i don't do oh, that yeah. ever so i'm like yeah. whoa <laughs> yeah no i think i think this is actually a really good point so so you talked about it adam as being a sort of thing that you do for for connections uh and, and it's probably a, a a ancillary benefit to operators to to have that but I think there are there are kind of other things. One is like, again, we're talking about if you're going to be open on, you know, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, maybe, right? Those are generally pretty slow nights almost everywhere for almost every kind of restaurant and bar. Unless you're really, really hot, you're going to have a slower night. And so inverting that, you know, kind of drawing in that industry crowd, especially on those nights and making those really appealing nights for your staff to work because they know that not only is there going to be a lot of business, but, you know, by and large, people who work in the restaurant industry are going to tip somewhere between like very well and kind of comically well. And so it's a big, you know, I mean, when when I would work places that had those things, you know, those shifts were often the most in demand. You know, people wanted to work Sunday night, Monday night, because that's when they would make the most money. Um, and the same is maybe true for the restaurant, but it's also, even if they're making equivalent to what they're making on a Saturday night, I mean, obviously that's a big win if you can do that on a Monday or a Tuesday, but also, you know, you can just keep your your staff happier with that. I also think that the part of it is like, I've often felt that it, even in places where there isn't, a, it wasn't necessarily a big, okay, Monday night is our industry night or whatever, that having that kind of crowd in your restaurant, like industry people are, you know, have their are issues for sure. But generally speaking, it's not bad for the restaurant for for guests who may not be who may just be normal diners or drinkers to see, oh, wow, those people are ordering a third bottle of wine or like these people are having obviously a very good time. And it creates an environment. I mean, we always used to talk in restaurants of like, you know, in, in smaller restaurants, you get that first bottle of wine on the table somewhere and everyone else sees it and they go, oh, well, I should, we should have a bottle of wine or, you know, whatever the thing is. Right. And it, and it just kind of can set a tone. Again, sometimes that tone can get a little out of control, but like yeah. it yeah. just kind of sets the vibe. Um, it's like, you know, now I'm, I'm, uh, it's, a uh, Antica Bottega is the restaurant in Verona that you're talking about way, way yeah, before. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, th- that's like essentially an industry hang that, you know, most people travel across the 
ocean to get to. Right. But like you, you go in there and there's bottles everywhere, and you would never think of walking in there and being like, mm, "Let's have some water tonight." Like, what you wouldn't go there for that. And obviously, that's an extreme example, but like th- that that kind of environment and that kind of atmosphere helps set the tone for anyone who might just happen to be in Verona and wander in there. Like they're going to get very quickly what it's about. And so being an industry hang kind of has that same vibe, frankly, um, and can help kind of set the tone for, for a restaurant or a bar either, uh, you know, every day or, or at the minimum, you know, kind of on those nights that, that they're really trying to, to bring that crowd in. I want to ask Joanna a question and you too, Adam, like, cause I kind of got to this before, but like, does the does the term industry hang like is that intimidating or or exciting or or something else? I think for people outside of the industry, it sounds intimidating and exclusive. But I think in the industry, it probably people probably don't think anything of it. That's my. But guess. I mean, for you personally, like if if I were to say, "Oh, hey, you know, uh, I'm in New York visiting. Let's go to this place. I hear it's a great like industry hangout." Like, would you be like, uh, "I don't want to go there," <laughs> or like, "I feel like I'm a I'm in I'm intruding," or what? Oh, um, I think, I mean, I guess I'd be curious to go there now where I am professionally to see, you know, if there are people I, you know, just have access to or could see what it's like. But I think otherwise it would feel intimidating to me. Yeah. It's really interesting that Joanna brings this up because I 100% agree with her. I think like as a, I know we've talked about this now uh, a little bit earlier too, but I'm curious if Joanna sort of feels the same way I do about this. Um, so I'm going to get on the therapy couch for a second. Okay. I think as a journalist, like we, we always kind of feel like we're posing, right? Cause we're, okay. we're, we cover the industry and we know it really well, but we know the, it's the part of the industry we cover. So for example, like, you know, on Saturday night, I was hanging out with like some people in the industry who I know because I had written about them and now like one of them has become a friend of mine. Like they're talking about wines that they all know because they see these wines, like, via the books that come through and and that they taste, I'd never heard of any of them. They're talking about these wines like they are ubiquitous wines in the New York scene. I think they are for a certain kind of restaurant, right? Who gets to see a certain kind of book and probably even shares wine reps, right? Mm -hmm. Because certain wine reps call on a certain kind of restaurant. Sure. And I felt like a poser. (laughs) And I think that like that's where – the, the an, an industry restaurant or an industry you know shot or whatever can be kind of intimidating. Like I don't know. Like I, I get that there are certain things that are industry handshakes. Like you know one of the things we wrote about uh, two weeks ago is how the the snackery has become like you know an industry handshake. Where if you're a bartender and you order a snackery, is basically you know daiquiri shots that people will you know <laughs> order for each other at the bar, and it's kind of a, a handshake to show you're a member of the industry. Like would I ever order that? No right. freaking way. I've never been behind the stick in my life. You know, I think it's cool. I'm glad to know about it. If I saw someone else do it, I'd be like, oh, cool. So they both, you know, actually work behind the bar. But if I did, I'd be like, what up? I'm posing here. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. and then I'd have to get in this whole conversation about, oh, well, no, like I work at this, you know, I work at Vine Pair. And then, you know, we'd talk about Vine Pair. And like, I'm sure that they would be super nice to me. But I'm, I, if they ever asked me if I'd ever bartended before, I'd be like, no. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. so I think, you know, in, in my living room. So I think that that's something that is interesting about, you know, the, the whole thing in the industry is that it, it should be and is for the industry. And therefore, I don't think it is so appealing to consumers because of those things. I mean, I, or maybe Joanne, I just feel very similarly <laughs> like yeah. where, where I mean, we I stand. Feel, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I've seen enough journalists kind of try to sidle up to chefs or bartenders or something. And it just, 
seems so awkward. Yeah, uh, you like, just don't want to be that person. <laughs> right. Like I don't want to pretend that I do your career. I don't do your career. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a writer and, and, and you make amazing drinks or make amazing wine. Like we both do different things We're we circle each other, right? We're in the yeah. same orbits, but like, I I don't want to ever be thought of as like someone who thinks of themselves, even as someone that can make a great drink. I would much rather you make me the drink. You know, it's yeah. like, like when I went to, you know, runner up last, I kept telling them, they asked me like what I want to drink. I said, whatever you guys want to drink. I don't mm-hmm. want to order anything off this fucking list. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't want to choose the wine. I don't want like, you are the experts, you know? I write about it. I love writing about it, but like, I am not the expert. Please, 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 dear God, for my anxiety, choose the one. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's certainly true that that environment creates a, you know, it's a very, I mean, like, let's put it this way. I've, I've gone to bars too that were hangouts for other parts, other industries, um, like not restaurant industry. There was a bar I used to go to a lot that was, I mean, definitely had like an, in, a restaurant industry hang to it, but it was actually very close to, um, several of the big, uh, theaters in Seattle. And it was like a ton of theater people came in, um, you know, on, on their shifts. And I love that. I mean, like I've always enjoyed theater and it was kind of cool. Cause you know, could overhear things and eventually get to, you know, you can become a regular, you get to know other regulars and talk to them about what their life is like and, and, uh, you know, performing and all that. And, and it was super cool, but it was also true that like, I wasn't like, you know, then going to pretend that I knew because I was in some high school plays, I'm not going to pretend <laughs> like I know shit about theater. Like that's just not me. Um, and so I think that there's a way in which like these kinds of spaces can be both exclusive, as you mentioned, or at least intimidating, but it's also like my experience. And again, you know, it's been a little while, um, you know, even pre COVID, uh, you know, especially once I started, once I had a kid, uh, you know, my, my late night hangs, uh, (laughs) diminished in frequency, uh, and intensity quite a bit. But, um, I think that we would always have, you know, inevitably somewhere you would, you'd go somewhere and there would be people there who, who weren't in the restaurant industry who had ended up there for whatever set of reasons, including sometimes they heard it was an industry hang and they just liked the vibe or, or, or they enjoyed the thought of drinking somewhere on a Monday night that wasn't, uh, you know, empty. But, but like the cool thing is, I think that most people in those communities and, you know, they might not be there, they're, we're going to kind of, we kind of, take along with us whomever happens to be there. So if you end up in a bar, if you're one of those bars or restaurants on one of those nights, like you're going to be kind of part of the the fun, whether you intend to be or not. Yeah, that's true. It is always, I mean, look, when I've been invited, it's always fun to be part of the fun. Yeah. I mean, they, every time, especially with your, when you're out with, I mean, you might be doing shots at 1am on a Monday night and you might, <laughs> depending on your Tuesday plans, that might be a problem, but yeah. it's fun in the moment. I always get to discover cocktails, wines, and beers I've never had before. Exactly. You know, which is really cool. Um, you know, and then and- yeah, if you're hungover in the edit meeting the next day, you've at least uh, you know can say you're doing research. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> not that that's ever happened, I'm sure. Never. <laughs> not to not to Joanna or I. Other people. <laughs> Don't have to name names. No, we're not going to. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the the idea of just like the industry bar, the industry hang is super cool, and I'm hoping that it you know that it sticks around even post COVID. It seems like it is. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's just, it's, it's such a great example of a robust industry. Like when there are places and, and people get to go out and they're, you know, they're excited. And I think it, it's a, it's just, it's such a cool thing that really is so unique to the, the bar and restaurant industry that, you know, hopefully it sticks around. And yeah, if you do find yourself at one, just like try to blend in and let them take the lead. <laughs> I want to cool. hear from our listeners uh, who have their favorite industry hangs, what they are. I do too. 
podcast at vinepire.com. I think one thing maybe we can do uh, at some point is maybe highlight some of these because I, I think like it's such a cool thing to see the the breadth and diversity of what become industry hangs in different places, whether it's in New York City or Chicago or Seattle or LA or smaller communities, wherever. Like it's so interesting to see because sometimes it's it's not places you would think. I mean, sometimes it's an intentional thing that's cultivated by by the by the restaurant or bar. And sometimes it just kind of happens organically. And that's super cool. I agree. Let's uh, let us know. It'd be so awesome to hear. Yeah. Cool guys. It's always great. This has been a great conversation yet again. Um, (laughs) Joanna, Zach, we'll talk next week. Yeah. Talk to you then. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also... I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.